0: This is exactly right. Every child is unique and learns differently. And I think the more that we as a society can embrace that fact and that reality of the uniqueness and individuality of every student, the better able we are to find environments where students learn more and are happier and are more likely to succeed, whether that's right now, where everybody is learning from home, or hopefully months from now where parents are able to decide what education best meets their children's needs.
1: Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. That mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. At Parent Footprint, we believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting and with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called The School Choice Roadmap with Andrew Campanella and let me tell you about Andrew. Andrew is the president of the National School Choice Week, the largest public awareness effort in the U.S. focusing on opportunity in K-12 education. With the goal of informing parents of their school choice options, Andrew and the NSCW team work with more than 21,000 schools annually, along with thousands of organizations and homeschooling groups. Under Andrew's leadership, NSCW has experienced remarkable growth from 150 events and activities in 2011 to more than 40,000 in 2019. In recognition of his work, he was named the PR News Magazine by the PR News Magazine as the Event Marketer of the Year for 2015. Andrew's also the author of a new book, The School Choice Roadmap, Seven Steps to Finding the Right School for Your Child, which is a guidebook that helps parents identify education environments that meet their children's needs. No surprise, he regularly speaks at education and parent empowerment events, and his expertise and work has been quoted and featured on shows such as CNN, C-SPAN, Fox, Fox News, The Washington Post, The LA Times, and so many more. Um, He is out there spreading the news that we are going to talk about today, and I'm ready to get going. Andrew, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So... As we were starting at the top of the show here before we started, is um, let's just ground us where, where we are in history right now and how this is such an interesting time for education um, now and maybe what's to come post-coronavirus.
0: Absolutely. And we're all going through this together, to borrow a phrase that we've heard many, many times on the news. And when it comes to the education of kids. Usually when a parent decides to homeschool their kids or enroll their child in an online course or an online school, they've spent weeks, if not months, thinking about this, weighing the pros and cons, discussing whether or not they have the capacity to do it, evaluating the different resources that are available. In this case, 40 million students have, over the course of 24 to 48 hours, been enrolled essentially in home education, and their parents have not had time to prepare or plan for it. So there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of worry, and my message to parents is that, yes, this is challenging But you know your kids better than anybody else on this planet, and you can do this. Mm -hmm. Every school district, every school has its own resources available, but there are also resources available nationally that are completely free that families can access. So parents, you can do this, and we can talk more about ways that families can um, acclimate to this changing reality
1: yeah 40 million i mean when you i've read it but when you say it it just seems even larger <laughs> 40 million people i mean this is a we all know we're sort of living in a sociological experiment right now and and probably one that many people would have loved to happen under better circumstances right because there's the movement for online Alternative ways of educating besides brick and mortar has been gaining steam for years now, um, and with our increased technology. And now we are sort of forced into this new way of being, at least temporarily.
0: Exactly. And, you know, I try to find silver linings and things, and there's really hardly any with the coronavirus because this is a global pandemic and we don't know what's next. And that's the scariest part about it. The good news is. That students today really get technology. They really understand it. If you hand an iPad or uh, device to a young child, they almost instinctively know how to use it. So kids today are at an advantage when it comes to adapting quickly to online learning um, and, and digital instruction. I think that is a good thing. Parents themselves may find it more challenging so there's going to be a learning curve for many families
1: yes yes and and um while we're on that why don't let's demystify it a little bit first because there's a lot of people right who have just this didn't even come across their radar right you send kids to school they go get educated and then they come home and then maybe you manage their homework so tell so tell folks what this what the different ways this kind of looks
0: Okay, great question. And what I'll say first is the biggest challenge that families encounter when they start looking at homeschooling or online schooling, and this is whether they're looking at it during a normal time or whether they're forced into it now because of the pandemic, is two things. Number one, well, really three things. Number one, they worry that they can't do this uh, and they are not smart enough or they don't have the uh, ability to do it. And in reality, they do. Every parent can do this because they know their kids better than anyone else you know your child's strengths weaknesses needs all of those things and and you are the expert on your child so have confidence that's number one number two families worry about whether or not they can actually replicate what a traditional school day or classroom looks like in their home and the reality is they don't have to there is a lot of flexibility built into homeschooling and online learning. You can choose when to instruct your child. It doesn't have to be during traditional school hours. You can choose when your child logs in to most online courses. It doesn't have to be during uh, a set schedule that looks just like bricks and mortar education. The third thing I want families to realize is there are a ton of free resources out there for you. There are free courses, there are free study guides, there are free instructional guides and lesson plans for parents, and there are more online communities that exist so that parents can help their kids out. And so, those are the three things that I want parents to remember as they embark on this. Number one, have confidence in your own abilities. Number two, don't worry, this doesn't have to look just like regular school. And number three, there are a lot of resources out there to help you. Parents say to me, "How am I expected to teach math to my kids when I can't even really do it well myself?" Exactly. You don't have to. There are resources available that are free.
1: And and from what I've seen, just with my own kids and um, clients, is this is everyone's still trying to figure it out at the districts because all of a lot of teachers are having to learn uh, on a fast pace here how to deliver curriculum, and some people are doing and, and the colleges, some people are doing live. Other people are doing links. And and it's just for people to know there's many ways to learn. And I've had that experience with a few of my kids just before this taking online classes. And um, let's just say that um, one one child is very uh, scheduled and on top of things. And the other one tends to not be as time sensitive about things. And you know what? They both are able to navigate it. They just do it in their own way.
0: Exactly. And that gets to, I think, one of the broader points of the book and also just the current reality that we're in, and that every child is unique and learns differently. And I think the more that we as a society can embrace that fact and that reality of the uniqueness and individuality of every student, the better able we are to find environments where students learn more and are happier, and are more likely to succeed, whether that's right now, where everybody is learning from home, or hopefully months from now, where parents are able to decide what education best meets their children's needs. Every kid is unique. Every kid is different. What might work for the child next door might not work for your child, and vice versa. Exactly. And the other thing that... uh, So...
1: What you just said made me recall several meetings with clients, um, and we have uh, many of my clients are homeschoolers, um, by either by proactive choice or in response to things not working well at all. Um, and, and, the, and the, the, the statement that I've heard over the years is, how do we know our child will ultimately be successful and be able to go to a four-year school or go to college if they choose, if we take this path? And I know you have a lot of wisdom in this.
0: Yeah. So, well, I don't know about wisdom, but I, I will say the research shows that when parents actively choose their child's school or learning environment, and that includes online schooling and homeschooling students are more likely to graduate they're more likely to succeed they're more likely to earn more over their lifetimes they're more likely to do things like vote and be involved in their communities and it doesn't matter what type of schooling parents choose for their kids so it doesn't mean that well if you chose open enrollment in a district and sent your child to a school in your traditional public school That child is more likely to succeed because you chose that. Really, what matters is parents evaluating their options and making active choices, regardless of what they choose, is directly correlated, I guess, to the child's likelihood of success because it shows that the parent has considered their options and made a good decision for their kids. That provides for more family buy-in to this whole process. It also provides for uh, a greater sense of parent engagement. I have always believed that the best way to increase parent engagement and involvement is not to just tell parents you have to be engaged and involved, but to give them as many options on the front end, choosing their children's schools and learning environments so that they are bought in in the beginning.
1: So you just said some very profound things that I want to capture and state back for everyone to hear and for you to validate if I heard it all correctly. And it goes something like this. When parents choose their child's learning and schooling, there's an increased likelihood of graduation, success, um, income, satisfaction. And it's with these parents making active choices, it not only increases buy-in, and engagement, it increases future success.
0: Absolutely. You nailed it. That is exactly right.
1: That's huge. I mean, that is. is really huge.
0: And that's why I think school choice, and when I talk about school choice, I'm not talking about one specific policy. I just want to make it clear. I'm talking about the act of choosing, the practice of going about and finding the right learning environment for your child. I think it's very, very powerful because we have to recognize, like you said in the beginning, happiness, health, and engagement. Those are important things. It's not just about how your child scores on a state test. It matters if your child is happy in school. There's another connection between curiosity and the acquisition of knowledge that's so important. And one of the ways kids are more curious is when they're happier in their learning environments. So I'm a big believer in the power of school choice, not because I think one type of learning environment is better than another, but just because I believe that if we can put kids in environments that are matched with what works best for them, we will see and we have seen greater success overall in the future. And I think that's what we should want for people, what we should want for kids and, and their own self-determination, their own happiness, their own growth, their own development. Those are things that should matter. And that's why I'm a, uh, firm school choice supporter and believer in all this. And and I want Mm -hmm. more families to evaluate their options because I think that when more families go about the process of choosing their kids' schools, even if they decide to stay where they are right now, going through the process alone will help you and help your family.
1: So you happen to have written a book to help parents with just this thing. So the uh, School Choice Roadmap, tell us, because we are going to go through this roadmap so people can get uh, the beginnings of information of how to understand their choices. Um, tell us, how, how did the book come to be?
0: Well, I have been asked for years through my work at National School Choice Week from parents to provide them with Sort of a roadmap, not to to use the title of the book, but a roadmap to helping identify how to go about choosing schools for their kids. Because we talk a lot during National School Choice Week and throughout the year about all the different options available traditional public schools, public charter schools, public magnet schools, private schools, online schools, and homeschooling the six different options. Talk a lot about them, talk a lot about where they exist and what options exist in different states. Parents have said, after looking at that, all of this information is really helpful and it's great, but how do I get started and how do I actually go about choosing? And so I had for years tried to direct parents to different websites and resources. And what I found was that even though many of these resources were well-intentioned, the advice they gave to parents was often too narrow. So for example, going to a website that would encourage parents to choose schools based on a rating or a grade alone ignores a lot of what parents know about their kids. And just choosing a school based on a rating is not a predictor that your child will succeed there. There are a lot of personal factors that matter too. And so I wanted to Put it all in one place, information about the six different types of schools, as well as a practical roadmap that helps parents use what they know about their own kids and use what they know they want and need out of a school or learning environment for their child to help guide them in the process of making a choice. That's how this book came about. And um, I hope people get as much out of it uh, as they can. So some people might ask,
1: do I really need a guidebook? And um, I'll answer that. Yes, because it can be so overwhelming um, just seeing what my clients have gone through, knowing what um, we have gone through with our own three kids with different learning profiles. And you don't know where to start. It's like, do I start with the school? Public, private, online, hybrid, charter, um, d- name it. And then it's like, okay, but what do I need to know about my child beyond just my intuition? Is there anything else I need to dig deep? And so I've just seen so many people over the years stick with what I call familiar misery because at least we know it and not taking a step because it's just overwhelming and not knowing what to do first.
0: I think that's a great point. And One of the things that I think makes it overwhelming is that education, even though it impacts everybody's life and certainly every child's life, is, for many families, the least user-friendly field out there because there is so much jargon and there is so much education speak that it almost seems like, in some cases, folks don't want parents to get it. And in reality, every parent can understand what's going on in education, and understand the similarities and differences between the different types of schools if we just cut out all the buzzwords and the jargon. And that's one of the things that I tried to do in this book. And I asked my editors to please go through this and rip me if I added in anything that was confusing. Because... Nothing in education is too complicated for any anybody to understand, regardless of the level of education you as a parent may have had. It is not rocket science to explain that one type of school does not charge tuition and you don't have to pay to send your child to it, and another type of school does. So there's a lot involved in education that can be demystified, and one of the goals of this book is to explain, for example, what is a charter school? What is a magnet school? What's an online school. How does it work? How do you get your kids into it? What can you expect? Is there transportation? Is there testing? Are teachers certified? Does that matter? Things like that.
1: So that's, of course, extremely helpful because right away, it's sort of the, um, the dictionary, the glossary, the explanation of just the, the facts that people need to know to have a foundation of what are my actual options. Um, from there... Or, 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 or maybe not from there. Like, What do you recommend is the first step when someone's starting to go on this journey?
0: Good question. So the first step is actually something that I think people don't usually do. And that is take stock of your own experiences in education, meaning you mm-hmm. as a parent. Yeah. Think back to your own time in school. Because when you look back at your own experiences, you will realize that a lot of the way you view education for your child is shaped by what happened at your own school in your own experiences. And you have to remember that as important as those experiences were, and as much as you have learned from those things, your child is a unique person and has different, uh, strengths, Mm -hmm. weaknesses, and challenges. So I want parents to go through the exercise in the book of thinking back to their own time in school. What did you learn the most? What did you learn the least? What do you wish you had learned more? Uh, What was your best experience, worst experience, things like that. And there's a worksheet, worksheet in the book that will help you go through that step. That is
1: awesome because as our listeners know, that is completely aligned with one of our key elements, which is a parent footprint is to be aware Right. Be aware of where we came from, be aware of how where we came from and what our experiences and beliefs are, how it impacts our parenting, both um, directly and indirectly. And that is just so important because, again, just I'm flashing on all different client experiences where I see, you know, one parent who's had experience A, another parent has had experience B, and how both of those experiences are going into what they are thinking about their child in school and what they should put up with, what they should change, and um, really the emotion they bring to the situation.
0: Exactly. And, you know, and in a lot of cases, parents' own experiences Should be, you know, factored into their decision if, if they, you know, recently went to a specific school or they have recent experiences. But I hear some parents say, um, for example, this school was a great school for me. I learned a lot there. It was great 20, 30 years ago. Therefore, it will be great for my child. That's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Things change quickly in education. A school can do a turnaround in a year and become a great school after having not necessarily succeeded for a lot of kids the year or two years before. Likewise, schools can change leadership and can suffer in the course of a year or two, let alone thirty. So you really have to look into uh, what the status of the school you went to, if that's what you're considering for your child, is now. So based on what you said and the need to reflect and look at your own experiences. That's really the first three steps of this book. The first is thinking back to your own time in school. The second is looking and identifying your goals for your child as a person, not necessarily as it relates or as they relate to education. Um, Talk about your hopes, your dreams for your child, your goals for your child. And then in step three, decide what you need and want from a school or learning environment. So before we even mm. dive into searching for schools, making lists and things like that, we're doing a lot of exploration, you know, in terms of what you want, what you need, what your experiences are, because those things will help you develop a list of priorities. And mm-hmm. that priorities worksheet and the book is filled with resources and worksheets and quizzes and things like that. So people can actually write in it or they can access free um these worksheets on the website, which is schoolchoiceroadmap.com. That sets your search up so that you're focused on your child, which is the most important thing to do.
1: Nice. And, you know, a lot of us have have thought, well, no, you know, this is, our kids are in this kind of school and yeah, it'd be great to have all this, but we just got to deal with reality. And what you're saying is like, push that aside, push reality aside right now. And what are the things that you really think would benefit your child? Like, what are you really looking for, right? Like, don't pull yourself back. Like, make that list of what you think would allow your child to learn and thrive.
0: Exactly, and so there is a comprehensive exercise in the book because some families have said to me, like, you know, I have a general idea of what I want in a school, but I'm not exactly sure on some of the specifics. So I put together a really comprehensive rating exercise where parents can rate whether or not about 30 different factors are important to them so do they care about whether school focuses on core subjects things like competency-based education and i explain what that means character development a specific instruction strategy a specific focus on one subject over another different arts and music programs a lot of different things that parents can evaluate whether or not those things are important to them and then prioritize what is the most important for their child. What
1: are some common things that parents then are maybe surprised to learn that they care about or surprised to understand they are differentiating between schools on on a few of these factors?
0: One of the biggest things that I hear from parents And this is completely true is that we have been told over and over and over again as a society to focus a lot on class sizes. And a lot of parents go into the school search process saying that they want to find a school with smaller class sizes. But once they actually evaluate what different schools offer and how they deliver instruction, In many cases, that becomes less of an important factor um, because they're looking at the school holistically and they're looking at all the different things that a school can offer. And so the size of the class um, isn't as big of a priority. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm not saying that I'm not weighing Mm -hmm. in on the debate. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. what parents have, uh, have told me, that they originally were focused primarily on that and school scores and ratings. And then Mm -hmm. after they went and did school tours and asked questions and thought about their priorities, other things came into view that, um, help balance out their, their search process.
1: So once they get into this, so they've gone through their three steps, um, they're starting their understanding because of the, um, understanding the facts about the different types of schools, How do you guide? How do you recommend parents start to actually look at schools and their options?
0: Right. So, then step four is making a giant list and researching schools. So, I want you to make a list of all the schools in your area of all different types. Don't rule any schools out because you think, well, it might be a private school, so it's expensive, or well, I'm not happy with that district or whatever. I want you to include every possible school that your child could attend on this list and then. Go through the process of narrowing that down based on research you do, reading about the schools, looking online, seeing what folks are saying about those schools, obviously um, you know, making a, a shorter list based on that research. Then after that, start visiting schools and going on school tours and collecting even more information. And I advise parents, when you're on a school tour, this is an opportunity to pretend you're on a scavenger hunt and look for signs of learning and evaluate everything through the lens of what is right for your child. Um, And there are lots of different checklists that I offer that families can use when they're on a school tour, as well as some questions that parents can ask when they're visiting schools.
1: Mm -hmm. And at the outset, um, you talked about the just all the positives about choosing. And one of the positives is family buy in, uh, child buy in. So, what is your recommendation and experience about when and how to include uh, kids, teenagers in this process?
0: In many cases, it's a good idea, but it really depends on your family situation. I don't have a hard and fast rule on that because I feel like some families might need to change schools even though their child might, for social reasons or whatever, be happy there. And so I encourage parents to, you know, evaluate that case-by-case basis. If your child is on board with making a change and you know that, then certainly bring them along, but remind them, of course, that you are the decision maker as a parent. This is your decision because you are their guardian. Buy-in is important for kids, but it should not be the only thing.
1: So, so, so buy-in does not come to the top of, um, like, top of the scale in terms of a successful transition, from your perspective.
0: I mean, I think you can have a successful transition without buy-in, but it's definitely harder. I really think it's a case by case situation. For example, if your child is not learning in school, and your child is not happy in school, and you both know this, you and your child, then yes. Having your child go on the school tour with you, watch you go through the process, ask questions themselves, that is helpful. And having that buy-in is a good thing. Now, if your child thinks that he or she is doing just fine in school and enjoys hanging out with his or her friends and likes going there and it's very social, but you realize that your child is not learning or maybe your child is getting involved in things that you don't approve of. And you need to make a change. It might be harder to get buy-in from your child, but ultimately, that's your responsibility as a parent. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. why I say there's no strict rule, at least in, in my book, um, for including your child in the process. Because everybody goes through uh, this process at a different point in their child's education. This book is written for people whether they're just starting out for their child's education in kindergarten or pre-K, and all the way up to high school. If you need to make a change, or if you've moved and you need to find a new school in your community, things like that. Mm-hmm.
1: So I've made up this uh, this list, this really short list that I talk to clients about um, in these sorts of school situations. That goes something like this. There's like three categories on this list. There's on the top, there is our child is thriving in school. In the middle, there is it's good enough, and down below is our child is drowning and we need to do something immediately. How, how do you take, like, what is good enough? Get you, you, given your vast experience with schools and education and what you see with outcomes, what could you say what is good enough? I mean, I know it's a really tough question.
0: Yeah, that is a tough question. And I think, okay, so people evaluate things differently as you know dan and i'm sure you have clients who are willing to roll with the punches in situations where maybe they don't like the school lunch program maybe they don't like some of the extracurriculars but their kid is happy their kid is learning they see signs of success and they're they're willing to say okay you know what it doesn't meet everything i want in a school but it's the best option we have and uh you know, that's good for us. Now you have probably no other people who will say, this is not perfect. And because it's not perfect, it's terrible. And so (laughs) people evaluate things very differently. I encourage parents to try to categorize things similarly. Is something an annoyance or is something actually impacting your child's learning? Now, if it's an annoyance, you might want to fix the situation and keep your child in that school instead of changing schools. If it's impacting your child's learning in a significant way, you need to evaluate whether or not you switch or try to make the situation better. Now, if your child is in danger or in harm, you need to pull your child out of that environment and find another option immediately. And I talk a lot about these three different categories um, in the book because it really determines whether or not you start the search process while keeping your child in the school, or you pull your child out of the school and embark on the process at the same time. I want to be, um, Mm -hmm. clear that I don't think any parent should ever risk their child's health or safety, um, with a quote, good enough environment. It's not good enough. If you think your child is in danger.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. That would be in the, uh, drowning danger. We need to do something immediately category.
0: And, yes. and with bullying and mm-hmm. things like that, those yep. situations can get worse without parents knowing about them. And even though some parents grew up in a time where you just dealt with it and it was a mm-hmm. fact of life, that's not mm-hmm. the case today. And I, I just want parents to hear this because it's important. When I Absolutely. went to school in the 1980s and was bullied, At least I could go home at the end of the day and know that it was over at least for a few hours or 10 hours, whatever, before I went back to school today, kids don't get that because they get home, they log on to whatever social networking sites they're on and they experience it there too. And then it all gets amplified, magnified, and made worse. So they're living in a difficult situation. And in some cases they're not willing to tell their parents about it. So It is worse than it used to be because there is no respite for many kids. So I just want to bring that up only because I think there are people out there who think bullying is overblown and exaggerated. I'm not one of those people. I think it's serious. I think that technology for all of its good uh, and beneficial uh, attributes can also be harmful
1: and uh i completely agree with you so i appreciate you uh saying that in a very direct way and and it is what not only often bullying causes people to make a change um had many clientele where it it often um precipitates a movement to a less um conventional mode like an online schooling um a charter or something else, and I'm wondering what are so what do you, what do you think are the misconceptions about these newer schooling formats?
0: Oh well, there are so many. I don't even know where to begin. So online schooling, there are a ton of misconceptions about that. Uh, the first misconception about online schooling is number one that you just plop your kid in front of a computer all day long, and your child learns from robots and uh, doesn't learn at all. That's a huge misconception. There are teachers, they are certified. Your child is matched up with a teacher and a learning coach. Uh, They have interaction with other students. In many cases, they go on field trips with those students. Um, They take the same types of classes they would take in a bricks and mortar school building, except there is more flexibility. These schools, even though they're online, are not easier. That's another misconception. Misconception about charter schools. There are a ton of them. People think that they are private. They are not. They are public schools. Charter schools are free to attend. They have to accept every student who applies as long as there's room, space available. They cannot exclude kids because they didn't perform well on a state test. They cannot exclude kids who have special needs or an IEP, Individualized Education Plan. So Those are misconceptions about charter schools. Magnet schools, those are schools that focus on themes like math, science, technology, and the performing arts. People hear about magnet schools and occasionally they think, well, I'm not sending my child to a magnet school because I need them to learn how to read and not just learn science and math. The reality is in a magnet school, you learn just the same amount of all the other subjects Subjects as the focus of the school. You're just learning those subjects through the prism or the lens of that magnet theme. Um, There are misconceptions about private schools, lots of them. Um, One of the biggest misconceptions is that private education is too far out of reach because it's expensive. People think of private schools, they think of, if they haven't sent their kids to one or haven't been to one, they think of the schools at Harry Potter. Uh, you know, expensive, uh, ivy walls, things like that. In reality, many private schools are more affordable than you may think. And there are scholarships available, either private scholarships or publicly funded state backed scholarships. There's a lot of misconceptions about public education too. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are a ton of them. I'm a huge supporter of public education. I believe that it is a public good. I believe that there are incredible things being done in traditional public schools across the country. And it really bothers me when I hear supporters of school choice, certainly not all of them, but some of them say that all public schools are failing. They're not. In fact, public schools are doing better in many cases than they were years ago. So misconceptions all around, homeschooling misconceptions there. People think kids don't get out. They don't socialize. All the research shows that's completely not true. So we could do a whole podcast on misconceptions.
1: Nice, Andrew's on fire. Do you guys hear all this? This is like a wealth of knowledge, and that's just—he's just like this is a tip, a tip, a drop that's in the book here. Um, are you seeing a trend in people choosing a school more consciously these days?
0: Absolutely, and that is a really good question because I talk a lot about the importance of active choosing—parents actively choosing their kids' schools or learning environment—and we're seeing now one third of U.S parents actively choosing schools for their kids. And that includes open enrollment in district schools, charter schools, online schools, private schools, homeschooling, magnet schools, all of it. It also includes families who have moved to neighborhoods for school districts, things like that. So one third of U.S. parents are consciously, actively choosing their kids' schools and learning environments. I think that is a great sign, and I'm hopeful that that number will go up
1: All right, Andrew, it is now time for the Parent Footprint Moment question. Tell us about a time where you became aware of yourself as a person, as a parent, or became aware of your parents in a way that this new awareness had a positive impact on you.
0: Well, the first thing I want to say is I am not a parent and people might think, well, then why did I just listen to advice from somebody who's not a parent who wrote a book about choosing a school for their child? But the reality is, I think that not being a parent actually allowed me to be able to write a book that presented all of this information for families. And I talked with hundreds of parents, get their feedback in a way that does not view education through um, the lens of my own experiences with my own non-existent kids, meaning I'm not prescribing something because it worked best for kids that I have. I am trying to give advice that is unbiased, impartial, fair, and jargon-free. Anyway, to answer your question, absolutely. When I grew up, I had, and I still do, <laughs> the best parents in the world. My mom is a public school teacher, and uh, my father works in real estate, and I grew up in New Jersey. and. One of the things that my mother in particular taught me was that if you're interested in something, explore it. If you want to learn something, go for it. And when I was a kid, I would get interested in the strangest things. I'd be interested in the Civil War, and they would take me to forts and battlefields. I would get interested in telephones. They would take me to see where they're made. I, I would be interested in you know, history, and we would go to the library and get books about presidents and different times in American history. I'd be interested in journalism, and they would have me work for a a week or spring break at the local newspaper uh, as a young intern. So my parents told me that if you're interested in something, go for it, learn about it, and never stop giving up those interests. And that has been the biggest lesson that has taken me through my adult life my career and my personal life so i've been interested in the work that i do it makes it feel like it's not work i love it i have a ton of hobbies that are completely unrelated to work uh that change all the time because i get curious or interested in things so those things about my parents shaped who i am today and. I'm eternally grateful uh to them for encouraging me to pursue things that I was interested in. Uh and and not feeling bad about it, not feeling like I had to be interested in certain things cuz other kids were, but just to be myself. And I think that that really has made an impact.
1: That is a great story your parents firmly showed you the importance of passion, the importance of following one's interests and the important, importance of encouraging those uh, passions and interests in you. And as a result, that became something that you valued, you continue to pursue into your adulthood. And now you are doing that for so many others with the work you're doing uh, with your organization and your book. Okay, Andrew, well, tell us where everyone can find your wonderful book and find the work of your organization and keep up with you.
0: Sure. You can go to schoolchoiceroadmap.com, learn more about the book, and go to schoolchoiceweek.com. Learn more about School Choice Week, where the world's largest annual celebration of opportunity in education. Every January, it's a great time to look into schools for your kids.
1: All right, everybody, that concludes our show for today. You know where to find us, www.parentfootprint.com. Subscribe to our podcast. Tell others about it. As always, focus on being the person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?